Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. tell yourself that I'm not controlling you, but uh, you keep coming back. And hello again, loyal listeners, because this is episode number 30 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. You know, this is the second episode for the month of March 2011, and the majority of this show will focus on our Daikaiju discussion for the month, the 1973 film Godzilla vs. Megalon. I have some news and some local events to talk about. Uh, but let's hear some monstrous music requests, starting with Gamera Into Space for Timothy.
right, so as I said a few minutes ago, that first track was Gamera Into Space for Timothy by Tarashi Yamauchi from Gamera the Invincible in 1965. And I followed that up with a request from Joshua to play G's Theme 3 from Godzilla x Mechagodzilla by Machiro Oshima. And I have yet to tire of that song. I have to say, I love Akira Ifukube's work, but Machiro Oshima has created, I think, possibly like the best Godzilla theme uh, ever. And I'm sorry for saying that because I am a massive Godzilla fan, obviously. But that song gets me pumped up. It just totally makes me think that Godzilla's going to just crush everything in his path. But I digress. Now, normally I would have tried to sneak in another track, but we have a lot to cover tonight. Because, once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the KaijuCast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, guaranteeing that this podcast is going to keep going for a long, long time. This month, we turn our giant radioactive eye towards the hotly debated Godzilla film in terms of quality, the 1973 Godzilla vs. Megalon. Godzilla vs. Megalon was directed by Jun Fukuda, who has directed some pretty great Godzilla films, in my opinion with a soundtrack by Rachiro Manabe, who scored Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, and features a number of new faces to Godzilla films, not to mention the four title monsters themselves, Godzilla, Jet Jaguar, Gigan, and, of course, the cockroach with the drill bits for hands, Megalon. Now, it's no surprise for some of you out there that I'm just not a big fan of this era of Godzilla filmmaking, but I made the decision that both during the movie and... uh, During the discussion, I was not going to be saying anything negative this month about the film. Now that you know that, let's hear the reactions of my guests. I'm sitting here with Cindy, Martin, Tiger, and Jeff. We just finished watching Godzilla vs. Megalon. Um, Jeff, you got the microphone. Why don't you start me off by telling me a little bit about your experience here tonight. Like you said before we watched it, uh, this is the first time you'd seen it in like, like since you were little or 10 years or something like that. Yeah, I think I was like maybe 10 or 12 years old the first time I saw this. I didn't really remember much of it. Probably now I know why. <laughs> oh, um, I I just didn't... I, I think this is kind of like a low point for me. It just, it's just poorly made, in my opinion. Like a lot of the fight scenes and uh, the action scenes and the destruction scenes, for me, they just really feel uh, like kind of disjointed, like... There's no continuity. It's just like these quick rapid fire cuts like you have like in a lot of action movies today. You have no sense of space of where anybody really is. It's just these quick cuts and um but uh yeah and and Megalon I think is just kind of a clumsy, silly looking villain in in my opinion. I like the attempt that they have for Megalon. Like I think that if they had uh, like if they were to remake Megalon the creature today, they could probably do a really cool job. And I like some of the things that you see in the character design or the creature design. But overall, I really am, as many people know, I'm not a fan of this film. Um, it's just, you know, I like the head design, but it's like the hands seem very kind of awkward. And the same thing with Gigan too. It's the same problem I had with Gigan 
is like his hands seem like like what point is that? Like they just seem like more kind of clumsy. Like he can't really do much with them. No, he can't grab things. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, actually, he can if he puts his hands together, his drill hands together to form the one big drill. Which you can't see this out there, but I'm actually doing that with my hands as I'm. You, you're making a drill with these guys. I'm making a drill. Uh, but uh, the, I, I, like I said, I, I like what they did in in sort of like general sweeps with Megalon, but character, the character design, the the creature design for Megalon just wasn't as good as I think any of the other. Uh, monsters from the seventies. I like Gigan a lot too. So, um, I would have liked to see a little bit more, maybe with Zootopia too, with those outfits. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> now, whose outfit are you talking about specifically? Are you talking um, about the, the 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 American actor, Robert Dunham? Yeah, you know his was just right out of his dress like Caesar, right? Yeah, you know. Okay, so I've I have seen this movie several times, although it's out of all the Godzilla films, it's the one I've watched the least. And I would, uh, I noticed watching this one, and for the, the people out there listening, we watched a widescreen subtitled print, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it subtitled, and the first time I'd ever seen it widescreen. And I was really surprised at how clear everything was. It was really good copy, and um, <clears throat> Robert Dunham had that headpiece on, and inside the in the middle of the headpiece, there was like a little Megalon head, which I had after watching these movies for like twenty years, I've never seen that before. Um, you know, one thing I did like also was the uh, you know I kind of liked the soundtrack. It was kind of bizarre. Well, it's Manabe, right? And you like you like yeah. Manabe's work. Yeah. So it was um, yeah, just kind of you know pretty funky. Um, and and the end uh, credit song is just fantastic. I played that a couple of. I think I played that in December for. Yeah, I mean, it was specifically a, for Kurt. He yeah, asked, a couple of episodes ago, I remember. Yeah, you Kurt that. Lloyd, who's not here tonight, for whatever stupid reason. <laughs> uh, anybody else have anything they want to mention about this film? Tiger, you got the microphone. You got something to say? Uh, yes, actually, this film doesn't much have doesn't really have much alien features in it. I mean, you can see people undercover trying to get rid of these scientists and trying to control the jaguar but you don't really see the main aliens a lot you just seem like i think you see it like three or four times oh the Zootopians. yeah Zootopians. also i think jack jaguar is awesome you like jack jaguar i do and you know why they did jack jaguar right uh i think it was like to to inspire like ultraman or something well ultraman was already in production and so Toho is pretty much losing an audience to a giant silver humanoid alien-looking thing. And so Jet Jaguar is Toho's answer to the Super Sentai stuff like Ultraman and um, Space Giants. That's kind of what I meant. But uh, I, I know that a lot of people really like Jet Jaguar. And um, if you play Godzilla Save the Earth... He's a really great character to play because he can get big and he can get small and he has some really good moves. Yeah. So, hey, Martin, this was uh, your... You had seen this before or not? I have never seen this before. All right. Which is weird because this is one of the ones that Mystery Science Theater 3000 did. It did, and I missed this one, and I, and I finally know where the flying backwards Godzilla comes from now because they have that in the intro sequence where he's 
flying with the feet coming at something, and I've never seen that whoop before. So it's I was a flying wondering. kick. Yeah, I I know that now. Um, I could not help like uh, almost instantaneously when this movie started going, and throughout the whole thing, all I could think about was, "Hey, does anybody want a pizza roll?" Because I really wanted to watch this movie with Planket. For anybody who's ever seen or know Red Letter Media, you should go and check them out because there's a character on there by the name of Plinkett that reviews movies. And I really, that, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help. I just, I wanted to just be Plinkett and absolutely just eviscerate. <laughs> you totally could have been, man. But uh, I, I I said earlier tonight and, and I actually made the decision after the last Daikaiju discussion that when we did Megalon, I was going to have nothing but positive things to say because I think, for me, all the negative stuff is already pretty obvious. <laughs> and, and it is. And I and um, I, 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 my biggest thing is I would absolutely love to have either been there or to discuss with the people that wrote the script or, or even the director. I would love to know what they were visualizing, what they were thinking. I mean, maybe they were making it up as they went because this, it really seems like there's, there's nothing there. Uh, I mean, there's, there's no story. Nothing's coherent. Nothing is, is at all. I mean, it really is like, Hey guys, we got this handful of money and we got six days to shoot this sucker and let's uh, start throwing some stuff around. Let's get in, uh, you know, every now and then light Godzilla's suit on fire. <laughs> Well, well, okay. So, like, uh, let's talk about the basic plot of the film. Is the as you see it, what what's the main, what's the basic plot of this film? I don't know. Okay. Apparently, the Seatopians are wanting to come up and and take over Topside again after three million years of being under the ocean. Oddly enough, they weren't under the ocean; they were under the continental plate, and they come up through earthquake cracks. Um, and they launched Megalon out there for some reason to well to start laying waste. And they knew about Jet Jaguar. I don't know how. Apparently, they have Topside spies, which Jet Jaguar is able to magically make himself get big. And and nobody knew that. I guess Dude, he reprogrammed himself. That is not magic. <laughs> he that reprogrammed himself. <laughs> and the Seatopians, who are, uh, you know, fell under the sea three million years ago, but living under the continental shelf, have control over the space alien <laughs> Gigan and is able to bring Gigan back from outer space to attack. Uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, and uh, yeah, the the uh, people fight sequences were a little awkward. <laughs> the this is true. Isn't uh, the plot basically nuclear testing pissed off the Cetopians? And so they try to get revenge by yeah. taking out on... The basic plot. Yes, that yeah. is the basic plot. So they try and take their revenge, but uh, they're brutally unprepared for the likes of Godzilla and Jet Jaguar's team up, I guess. So, Cindy, obviously, I mean, you have to have seen this one before. Oh, yes. And like Jeff, I probably didn't remember most of it, and now I know why. <laughs> so not not, uh, not in the top ten for you? Uh, no, it's, it's never been in the top ten, unfortunately. It does have some quirky, interesting bits. The soundtrack, if you listen to it during the chase sequences, um, I kept thinking, why does this sound like music that I expect to see in a go-go bar of the time? Yeah. Well, I think Manabe 
uh, Richiro Manabe sort of brought a little bit of that same kind of uh, Masaru Sato feel to the film, like with his with his soundtrack. Again, trying to say positive things about it. The uh, you know it's not just the soundtrack being kind of that mod. Right sound, but you know the house that those guys lived in—the house with the, the those hanging cubes that, that you know were they used against the villains. Uh, Fashion over function, uh, right? Right. The function is to bash bit villains with. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, I I think that it's very, very telltale. The you know I can definitely link that s- that soundtrack up to the um, visual aesthetic. That's happening in what they are uh, assuming, you know, sort of touting is this is a modern Japanese dwelling. And I know that when I lived over there, I never saw any houses like that. So they must have ended that quickly Ah, after the 70s. That and I think that the Megalon design, if they were to update it the way that they updated Gigan, Mm -hmm. that I think could be nice. Yeah, for sure. Well, have you... uh, Okay, so let's let's uh, shed some positive light on some things. Like, did you see anything in this movie that you thought was really well done? Really well done? Oh, great. You're going to make me think. Uh, how about this? I will start off because <laughs> I was writing notes. Um, first off, the the way that the film opens, not the actual opening of the film with uh, show, you know, showing stock footage of Angulus and... Godzilla on Monster Island for, or Monster Land from Destroy All Monsters because that's the first shot they had pretty much. But um, I noted that when the lake, when the earthquake happens and the, the water starts going into the lake, I thought that that was like super impressive. I mean, uh, that set must have been huge. And they did a really good job with getting the water down into the cracks and ha- creating the whirlpool effect and everything. I really like that. There are a couple of set things. The dam as well was really, really well constructed. I mean, it looked very realistic to me. Yeah, there, uh, the, the the dam was really well done. I will agree with that. And the set where they had the big final battle was, was pretty good. That was a pretty good... Um, because some of the, the props and things in other movies have been much better. I kind of thought when they were rolling out the military, all those tanks and everything... Uh, weren't done well which was kind of surprising knowing how many they've done well but I yeah think that, that was all stock footage was that what that was I'm pretty sure that was all stock footage from prior movies I, the rollout uh-huh I'm pretty sure because there was some stuff that was models and the and the model stuff with the uh with the maser tank and a few of those they they just weren't well i'm i'm not positive i think that some of the uh it looked like some of the stuff they had for the maser tanks getting destroyed might have been stuff they shot, but I'm pr- I know for a fact that the Mazer tank actually lifting its uh, cannon up and it, the dish and moving and firing that was all from um, this War of the Gargantuas. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to say I think the best production thing is the boat. What boat? Oh, the the little kids boat. Yes, the little kids boat. That was that and was the really tiny motorcycle was pretty interesting. Those little kid inventions. Oh, I don't know if the boat was an invention. Yeah, I I think the what I got from it was that the uh, the the older brother was the inventor, and that was his. Those were his contraptions. I don't know anybody that takes a rocket with a rope tied around it to uh, 
to a picnic, but hey, you know, it works. And I, I agree. I thought the I thought that the design behind that paddle boat thing was amusing. Was pretty cool looking. And they did a good job of replicating it in a small form as well for when they you know, they shot the the uh the stuff on set. Did you notice that kid has a future? Well, by now his future is probably happening. I will bet he is a rodeo. Probably probably a uh, calf roper. The way he threw that rope around the handlebars on his little dolphin diving swimmer, <laughs> that was just like a cowboy throwing around the horn, man. It was awesome. I, he could be that, or or maybe he's uh, he's part of the Japanese Secret Service, you know, t- learning from, from a youth. At, you know, from being very young, he knows how to take take down Seatopians. Protect the Prime Minister. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Tiger, you you mentioned the Tiger mentioned the 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 boat thing. Jeff, do you have anything that you thought was really well done in this movie? I I did like the uh, you know how the the boy sabotaged the Seatopian uh, by throwing his model airplane. <laughs> Out of nowhere and bloodying his nose. <laughs> All right, so let's realistically speaking, I'm ass- I'm assuming that what they bought was like a demo version of that airplane, because uh, I don't think they had time to construct it, glue it together, paint it, and put all the decals on before they got to the house. Right. Yes. Well, I think yeah. didn't he just take a model one from the shop? It looked like they took he was a model ca- one, carrying it around with him, through, you know, the whole time. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I mean, I agree with you. Now that you mentioned, uh, you know, the dam sequence was probably the most impressive thing in the film. Um, that was know, the most impressive dam thing I've seen in a Godzilla movie. <laughs> yeah, Ba-bum. Um Wait, wait! Before you say what you're going to say, don't forget it. But uh, he, he gave me the rim shot. Did you notice, Tiger? That. When the uh, bad guy on the motorcycle fell off his motorcycle and he used the chain to pull himself <laughs> up and he got he got the <laughs> concrete or the paint. To, it went wah, 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 wah. Yes. <laughs> I, I had to, I was like, my hand was over my mouth. So I wouldn't, I was like, I'm not going to laugh that, that really at this. Okay. I'm not sure quite how the motorcycle, uh, Avoided the head-on collision when they had the collision. He just kind of jumped him, or something. Did you notice that? Yeah, I, it, as soon as I saw that, I thought, "Oh, I need to look at the front of the car next time I see it." And then they show the front of the car, and I'm like, "That's just impossible." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And movie physics, right? It it, it kind of felt to me that scene like, like we, we got to wrap this scene up real quick. Um, you know, we'll get away by having him jump through that that house, but the other car will just kind of not be able to make it, and the motorcycle. <laughs> I will fall into the pile of cement or whatever whatever that was. It was like something that I don't know what it was. What it was, it was like something that you would fill up a bucket with or something because it dumped paint or cement all over him <laughs> with the with the trombone yeah. wah wah sound. Uh, so watching this film in particular, and we watched, you know, obviously we've seen a couple of other '70s movies as of late. You know, really kind of. Seeing them all together kind of opened my eyes a little bit to why Godzilla Final Wars was made the way it was. It has the car chase. It has the human-on-human violence. It has the sketchy aliens or, you know, outer... I don't want to say outer space, but, you know, 
non-human bad guys. It just this movie kind of sealed the deal for me. I was like, oh, I get what Ruhe Kitamura was doing when he had that ridiculous chase scene on the freeway with the guys on the motorcycles. Because mm-hmm. his biggest influence, he loved the yeah. He said early he loved 70s. the seventies movies, yeah. which hopefully Gareth Edwards, who's supposed to be directing the Godzilla film, supposed to be. Like hopefully he's he doesn't come out and say, Oh, my favorite movies are the seventies Godzilla movies. Well he's pretty young, so his his favorite movies are probably the nineties. No, right? the Heisei movies. That yeah. would be even better. Or when he was a kid, Godzilla two thousand. <laughs> it's great. I don't think he's that young. <laughs> yeah. Um Yes. Yeah. So I uh, I think this is the first movie that I've seen the military actively seek out Godzilla. Like for help. He's always just sort of been there and like in the Geigen movie, he was like, hey, something funny is going on. And they went out and sought out the the problem. And in this movie, they're like, can Jet Jaguar go get Godzilla? Good. Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was amusing how the, this guy's like, hey, the, uh, these, these guys, uh, they're controlling my robot and... They're making Megalon and follow it. And so I was wondering if I can borrow a helicopter to get Godzilla. And they're like, um, okay. Did they borrow a helicopter to get Godzilla? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, they just got... Oh, okay. Gotcha. Admittedly, there were a few spots in the movie where I was not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I, You know, trying to be positive about this film, but it this is my least favorite film. And I, it's, as Jeff mentioned, it's 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 a low point in Godzilla history for me. Uh, it's also, I mean, it's this is the epitome of what can go wrong in a Godzilla production. Uh, and there were so <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> again, you guys can't see this. Martin just did a whole bunch of like kaiju body language things. <laughs> He's doing the thing, and the lizard did in Rango. And, uh, yeah, they had a lot of body language in this film. And this is, uh, like I said a few months back, my friend Gilbert in college, he really, he thought that was cool that the monsters did that, you know, posing and, you know, I don't know what you would call that necessarily, but the body language of kaiju. And uh, I don't see it. I I don't think it's that awesome, but there certainly was a whole lot of it. I have always noticed in all of these movies the music, in one way or another, good or bad. There have been some where the music is fantastic and works really, really well. And there have been times, and I probably haven't always pointed it out, for me, where I've felt the music was just really out of place. This, The music in this movie felt completely out of place nine times out of ten. I don't know why that was. And again, that might be one of those where this had budget constraints. If this was the low point, maybe they didn't have the money. There, this was. These may have been popular songs that they were able to like. Hey, you know what? These people will let you have the song because it's got radio play or whatever. I don't know. It was bizarre. I, I must say, I've never studied the Megalon soundtrack. I know Richiro Manabe did it, but uh, I, I don't know. The soundtrack doesn't bug me as much as it did in. Um, the Smog Monster, which was his last mm-hmm. soundtrack, I believe, right? Yeah. Because 
Yeah, I don't want to say anything wrong, but I think Masaru Sato did the soundtrack for Gigan. Either that or Gigan's soundtrack was sort of compiled from a bunch of different other movies. That might be right. It, it really seemed like these songs, a lot of the music was not written for this movie. Well, I must say that uh, a lot of this movie just does seem out of place. Um, should we even attempt to try and say, like, what would you change about this film? Or is that list just too giant? Well, I, again, I come back to that point. I would love to be a fly on the wall when they're going through the script or when they're deciding, you know, how much of this was written when they went into production on it? How much were they changing out there? I mean, I would I would die to know what was going on at the time and even what was going on through their head, um, you know, when they were piecing this all together. Or, you know, it very well could be that there's a whole story behind this that they scrapped it, they were rewriting it, they were doing all sorts of things. Maybe somebody cut the budget. I mean, it, you would probably know some of that that's, if it's been written about what those would be, but... I should, but I'm horribly unprepared tonight. This just, I can't watch that and think that they went forward with this thinking that they were really going to have to polish this thing, you know, and and put it out there. It feels like something went wrong. This is definitely, you know, from Toho's, we need to get, you know, these are for the kids um, series. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything in this, in this movie that's really, aimed at adults as I mean as much as it's aimed at kids for sure I, mean, I think this was like you know towards the end of the series and they knew it and you know I think Martin is right the budgets were smaller and they just probably didn't put as much care into it that yeah. is, they needed to get a Godzilla movie out yeah and we're going to cut corners wherever we can but we got to get it out and you know the addition of adding Jet Jaguar is a perfect example of like we got to keep up with what's we got to somehow you know we're not setting the trends we got to you know yeah I'm kind of wondering you know sometimes they start making a movie and then the budget it feels like the budgets get cut during it or maybe something starts to come in at over the budget and other things have to get sacrificed like when we watched Latitude Zero Mm -hmm. and you know some of the suits were eh, okay and some of the suits looked like totally terrible yeah and this movie like because i like i said i think the the lake scene in the beginning and the dam set those looked amazing to me and maybe like in a sense again i don't know if this what happened but maybe there this was just kind of like oh we spent too much money setting that up or you know we don't have money for a big elaborate city like they were talking about doing in terror of mechagodzilla you know, I think they spent, look, maybe they spent the money on that damn set. Because when he hits Tokyo, it's all just kind of like really quick and, like I said, disjointed. Like in one second he's in Tokyo, then the next he's like in the middle of nowhere again. Right, yeah. And uh, they almost like kind of just pass that over. Like there's no real big destruction of Tokyo scene. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what for me what would have made this movie like better is just like, because the last big battle royale scene between the four of them goes on for like 20 minutes you know it's pretty lengthy if it would have just been done a little bit better yeah um and like volleying the you know back and (laughs) volleying jet jaguar back and forth yeah is just i mean 
I understand it's for kids, but it's just kind of like, oh god, you just roll your eyes. Yeah, well, the know. flying kick and the the volleying and like even the even the scene where the container falls off the truck and Megalon smacks it in the air and it starts flying flying through the air. I don't know, just. I, I tweeted that out because I was Did doing you? some live tweeting on that, and I was like, "Hey Spielberg, guess what? Oh, you and yes. Indy didn't think of that one first. Yeah, we sh- we should announce that Martin's going to be live tweeting during this movie. Hooray. Yeah, uh, and it's hashtag. Ha- Did you hashtag it too? Godzilla vs. Megalon. Maybe nice. I should stuff. You could. could. You could. Uh, so do anybody else have anything else they want to say? Final final thoughts or anything? Um, so I would have to say as a final thought, this movie was enjoyable to watch, despite all it was. This really it it was very enjoyable. Um, I would never recommend this to a first time watcher, but I would recommend it to people who have seen it before because I think it's just a barrel of laughs. I, I just I had a really good time watching it. Yeah, I was shaking my head, but I was still. Uh, it was a good time. It was an enjoyable part of the experiment. The face palm aplenty. <laughs> yeah, you just cannot take this movie seriously. Yeah, you know, if difficult. you sit down and just watch it for what it is, you know, the piece of seventies that's fun, uh, mostly targeted kids. And one thing that that Jeff mentioned was that there is no uh, female lead in this film. There's no females the at all. I think the yeah, except the for the females. dancers uh, at Seatopia. That's it. Okay, so slow motion dancers. Can anybody explain that to me? <laughs> uh, was it? The only thing I could think of was were they trying to get some sort of feel that oh they were actually underwater, but they weren't. So they had gear on hats on. Did you see that? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, we they weren't guilt. Guild people, were they? No. <laughs> uh, final thoughts, Jeff? Um, I don't know if I really have final thoughts. It's just, I mean, I agree with you. Kind of like what I said at the beginning is just, you know, it's kind of a low point for me, that, you know, this film. And I would really only recommend it to fans and completists only. Okay. You know, I mean, if you're going to show somebody a Godzilla movie, you're not going to really show them this. Until the very last one, <laughs> or <laughs> unless you're doing a a random order, yes, yeah, yes. a random order show, <laughs> or you start with this one and say, "Listen, it's only going to get it's, better." It's all uphill from here. <laughs> uh, I should mention that, uh, like I said, we watched a widescreen subtitled version of this film, and I was I've been watching the the uh, VHS versions, um, you know since I was younger and those things are terrible like the the quality of the VHS's were really bad so you guys seeing this here in this pretty much pristine version of of the movie is I thought was pretty amazing and if somebody was going to go out and seek this movie out um, I would hope that it gets produced like this Um, this was not a legitimate copy because legitimate copies are uh, sort of un- unavailable unless you buy them from Australia, which, where they are legitimate, or Japan and you know don't want subtitles. I will say that August Ragoni mentioned on the Facebook page that apparently this is finally going to get a legitimate release. I don't know when. I don't know who's making it. Region 1. But uh, yes, hopefully, especially, you know why? Because the new Godzilla is going to be coming. No, out. because I just bought the Australian DVD. Oh, so. okay. 
Yeah, you just fork the money out. I just fork the money <laughs> the out. The big yeah. bucks, and how are you gonna? Yeah, I think Tiger wants to say one. Yes, something. I will say one final thing. Um, it'd be interesting if this would be a super long time, but be but I don't know for people who know this, but they did a 50th anniversary Godzilla thing, where for the 50th anniversary they they made they put a bunch of DVDs out for Megalon. Sea Monster, or not Megalon, Sea Monster, a lot of, and some of the Millennium series, and the, what do you call it again, 70s, 80s series? The Showa series. Showa series, and all the originals, so maybe they'll do a 100th anniversary. Yeah, but, but the that's 100th gonna be a while. <laughs> a long time from now. Yeah, probably 50 years. You might have to wheelchair me over to yes. that sale. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hooray! <laughs> Jeff just said, "Well, I'll, I'll be dead, but Tiger will be able I'll to get them." Put a copy on your corpses. Wait, How about on the graves? Yeah, graves. <laughs> Please don't dig up our corpses I, and, uh, and <laughs> drop DVDs on yeah, there. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, anybody else have anything else to add? I think uh, if not, I think we're just gonna go ahead and hear what everybody else had to say. Because surprisingly, I got a lot of responses from people. I'm very pleased, and uh, and here they are. Before we begin, I wanted to say that not only did I receive way more responses to Megalon than I thought I would have for a movie that isn't commercially available on DVD, I had a total of 15 submissions this month. A staggering number, if I do say so myself. So kudos to you listeners for tenaciously commenting on this gem. Jeff Zorno wrote in to say that he really digs Godzilla vs. Megalon. In fact, he can say that he loves the film. Godzilla vs. Megalon is, at its heart, a truly slapdash kids movie. A total product of its time and environment. But he loves Megalon for that aspect. True, this movie has its faults. And true, this is certainly not the greatest entry in the Godzilla series. But Jeff stands by Megalon in that it certainly is not the worst. He really thinks that that prize goes to Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla... Godzilla vs. Megalon actually has a lot to love about it. A totally colorful comic book movie from an era of Godzilla's history that truly influenced him as a child and stuck with him and helped shape Jeff into the comic book artist he is today. Because yes, he realized by the time he was seven that he wanted to grow up and be Gengo, comic book artist by day and fighter of aliens by night. Sean supplied some thoughts on the film. Godzilla vs. Megalon was the second Godzilla film he ever saw. And he can easily revisit it to this day because of the childhood nostalgia it holds for him. Unfortunately, that feels like the only reason he's able to, dare say, tolerate it. But then again, this is a film that was originally written strictly as a Jet Jaguar film, with Godzilla and Gigan being thrown in at the last minute. And it shows. Will wrote in to say that Godzilla vs. Megalon is a peculiar film. He loved it when he was little... Then he progressed through time when he was uh, through a time when he thought it was horrible, and now he finds a new respect of sorts for it, and seems to like it a bit more with each subsequent viewing. It certainly isn't a perfect movie. The human and Cetopian aspects of it leave something to be desired, and the child actor, in the English dub at least, possesses an annoyance level to rival that of any Showa-era Gamera child. But the monster sequences shine. Jet Jaguar, pseudo Ultraman though he is, is a respectable character and his design is forgivable, given his origins as a contest entry. 
The interplay between the monsters in the final fight is fun to watch. It's amazing what the actors could convey using their body language. It's something that he didn't notice in his first viewings, but each monster is given its own personality by its respective actor. Also, Will loves the idea that Gigan is simply a monster on loan to whomever happens to need him at the time. Jonathan says that Godzilla vs. Megalon has been one of his favorites since he was a kid. I'm sensing a bit of a motif here, people. And he owns three, yes, three VHS copies of the movie with different covers. Godzilla's flying dropkick was a memorable scene for Jonathan, and the monster battles are great. Bill's comments started with, wow, and not a good wow either. Although he has to say it's an entertaining and a so-bad-it's-good kind of way. It was certainly a low point in the series, and unfortunately he thinks most non-Godzilla moviegoers would consider this a typical Godzilla film. Paul notes that there's a good reason this film was made into a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. It falls into the so-bad-it's-good category. The reuse of old stock footage is incredibly obvious, and the music is really bad. Why is Megalon, a monster that can fly, shown hopping across the countryside to get to Tokyo? How is Jet Jaguar able to program himself to grow to monstrous proportions, and how does he learn to speak Godzilla ease? Nevertheless, he still enjoyed watching it again, However, he does prefer the MST3K version. So I like rarely get questions for the Daikaiju discussions. And I know these are not like serious questions, but I must say that this film still baffles me in those points. And I am not 100% able to answer those questions, sir. But back to business. Joshua first saw this movie when he was about nine. And even then, it struck him as incredibly silly. The stock footage was pretty obvious in a lot of places. Godzilla's suit and its Muppet-esque quality. This entry just tends to be up there with Godzilla's Revenge for a lot of people as their most reviled film. However, this movie has a lot of endearing things in it. Jet Jaguar's silly expression, mannerisms, and overall goofiness add to the lighthearted tone of the film, as does the sort of tag-team camaraderie between himself and Godzilla. It's not unlike an awkward but still awesome wrestling match, all the way down to the infamous Godzilla dropkick. Also, this film was a lot of people's first exposure to Gigan, who was just a super cool-looking monster. I agree. All in all, it's not something I'd show friends to get them into kaiju films, but it's definitely an awesome flick to check out for a laugh, or to satisfy the 10-year-old wrestling-slash-monster fan that resides in everyone. My guest for the last episode of the Kaiju Cast, Brian Cook, wrote in, he sent his thoughts in as well as subsequently dropping some knowledge on us. Godzilla vs. Megalon would be harmless enough as the weakest entry in the franchise, but in the U.S., CinemaShares, the film's domestic distributor, launched an obnoxious ad campaign, including a one-sheet of Godzilla and Megalon atop of the World Trade Centers, a blatant aping of Dino De Laurentiis's 76 King Kong remake and its iconic poster design. NBC later bought the rights from CinemaShares to play the movie, heavily edited and featuring John Belushi in a Godzilla suit, as commercial brake bumpers. Despite its many, many, many flaws, this movie was perfect for Brian at age four. He quickly fell in love and his brother showed him King Kong Escapes and Monster Zero, solidifying not only Brian's love for this series, but for the studio Toho and Japanese cinema in general. James says, don't get me wrong, as much as I love the Godzilla movies, the ones from the 70s are just too painful to watch without the aid of MST3K. Mainly because the dubbing is so god-awful, and all the kids in these movies wear shorts so small that they can barely be classified as pants. It feels like it was more of Megalon's movie than it did Godzilla's. 
As amazing and cheesy as the fight between Godzilla, Jet Jaguar, Gigan, and Megalon was, you can easily forget that this is a Godzilla movie, as the big G doesn't really appear until the last 20 minutes, aside from seeing him for like two seconds at the beginning of the film. It's pure craziness. Montgomery notes that there are several cool factors about this movie. Yes, Godzilla was and always will be awesome, but Jet Jaguar stole the show. He wanted a Jet Jaguar of his own, not a toy, but a real honest-to-God robot. Second, Megalon has got to be one of the fiercest creatures Godzilla has ever fought. There's something about a multitasking creature that has claws for a drill, shoots bombs and grenades from its mouth, and shoots laser blasts from a star thingy on his forehead. If there was a Godzilla movie to remake, this one would be it. Charles said that this was the first time he had seen this movie, and after finishing, he was hard-pressed to come up with anything he liked about it. This has to be his least favorite Godzilla design. The undersea villains are uninteresting, and it takes far too long for Godzilla to even show up in the story. He was not surprised to find out later that Godzilla was indeed an afterthought, and this movie was originally intended to be Jet Jaguar vs. Megalon. He tried to enjoy this through the eyes of his 10-year-old self, but even he would have thought this movie was lame. Godzilla vs. Megalon has a special place in Robert's Godzilla collection. He has a public domain pan and scan VHS copy, a widescreen American version taped off the Sci-Fi Channel, the MST3K version, and a copy of the original Japanese version. Why all this for a mediocre and what some might say the worst Godzilla movie? Because growing up in Cleveland, Robert saw this movie the most on local TV. When he sees Godzilla in his mind's eye, this is the suit. This isn't his very favorite Godzilla movie, but he would put it near the top. Why? Because this movie has some of the best monster fight action than any other Godzilla film. The tag team wrestling style keeps him hooked into the battle. He loves the flying kicks. The monster semaphore cracks him up. And what can compare to the Jet Jaguar song? Although this movie has traditionally been the reason people defame the Godzilla series, Robert finds that it holds a chilling new relevance to today's viewers. Granted, Godzilla is the hero in this particular film, but overall, he is the personification of natural disaster that so often strikes Japan. The opening images of a whirlpool after an earthquake immediately brought to mind similar images from the recent tragedy in Japan. In the movie, the citizens of Seatopia are dealing with the same radiation scare as real-life people of Japan now face. Even in the most lighthearted of Godzilla movies, such as this one, there is a serious undercurrent which we must always remember. Andrew wrote in to say that this was the second Godzilla movie he'd ever seen. The first was Godzilla 1985, which he saw when it was first released on VHS. He became obsessed with Godzilla after that, uh, but could never find any tapes at the local video store, and the movies were never playing on any TV station. Finally, when he was 16 or so, he saw Godzilla vs. Megalon, rented it, watched it that night, and uh, let's just say he was thoroughly disappointed. Where was the menacing Godzilla from his books, crushing cities underfoot? Instead, he got some googly-eyed Muppet dancing and posing in a field with Ultraman, or Jet Jaguar, and that kid's voice. He kept hoping he was going to be squished at some point. Despite all this, Andrew's love for Godzilla endured, but this movie is probably at the bottom of his list. Steven saw this again at a local vintage film house that brought in a pristine print from Toho. It was the first time he'd seen it on screen since he was a kid. What a treat. While it's absolutely silly and laughable in many places, Steven believes its heart is in the right place. Good defeats evil, no one dies, at least on screen, and a blow is struck for the advancement of kid empowerment as only the Godzilla films of this era can provide. 
The miniature work is first rate when it's not reusing stock footage from earlier films. The story is wonderfully preposterous, and it does not get any better. He loves the fight scene between all four monsters. He loves the irritating kid, and he loves that this one Godzilla film has no real message whatsoever. It is an absolute romp. And finally, Brady doesn't consider this the absolute worst film in the series. That honor goes to Godzilla's Revenge, and maybe Godzilla Raids again, because it's just so darn fun to watch. It's the ultimate cineschlock. He loves seeing the monsters dancing around the bland landscape as they fight for the supposed future of mankind and the over-the-top but uh, rather cool monster designs. He kind of wishes that Megalon and Jet Jaguar would have been seen in later installments, seeing as they're surprisingly well-known in the United States, despite them only being in one film in the series. That said, the almost non-existent budget and kitty-driven storyline very clearly shows itself in virtually every frame, taunting us with the fact that there is still a good movie hiding in there somewhere. Overall, he considers this to be one of the more entertaining films of the series, and it comes highly recommended if you just want to plop down on the couch and have some brainless fun. So those were the user submissions. You guys did really great. In conclusion about this film, I still don't like it very much. It's a Godzilla film. There's nothing I like more than a Godzilla film. But with there being 28 movies, this one definitely is towards the bottom. I wouldn't lump it together with Godzilla's Revenge because I really like that film. But it's just whenever I see it, I'm reminded of what it could be instead. That was a lot of talking and a lot of reading. You guys did great. Maybe a little too great. I wasn't going to play another song, but I kind of need a break to go get a drink before we move on to the news. So because I'm feeling a little guilty about what I said earlier, here is a fantastic track from Akira Ifukube from Daikaiju Varan called The Fierceness of Varan. Thank you. 
United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Do you guys know what today is? Do you know what today is? It is March 29th, Tuesday, March 29th, which means that tomorrow, Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters is finally released on the public. That's right. All 80 covers should be available out there. After you pick up the first issue, feel free to read my in-depth review, if you haven't already, that I posted on the KaijuCast blog. First and foremost, I want to echo my sentiments from last month. Go out there and buy this book. Secondly, I know that my review wasn't overly positive, but uh, it's only the first issue, and I'm really fairly certain that the writers Eric Powell and Tracy Marsh are going to really turn this series into something amazing. If you aren't planning on buying it, and have friends that read comics, please urge them to pick it up. Because I really want to see this series continue for a long time. Who's with me? Who's with me? Anybody? Yeah, I'm sure you all are. In related news, I was uh, contacted by a columnist at the San Diego Union-Tribune last week about the new comic. I was a little unclear if his point in the story was to cast a dark shadow on IDW Publishing because of their timing in releasing the Godzilla comic in relation to the Japan earthquake and tsunami tragedy. But I was very eager to dissuade any sort of negativity there. Uh, the end result of his article is online, and I'll um, provide a link in the show notes for anyone who missed the Facebook posting this morning. Regardless of that, though, go buy the book. Also in the news, there's this crazy rumor battle going on between Bloody Disgusting and Ain't It Cool News. One is saying that Guillermo del Toro has been asked to turn Pacific Rim into the new Godzilla film, while the other site is insistent that that is not the case. This seems like the same sort of rumor that came about a long time ago, but Bloody Disgusting definitely has like March 17th as the post date on this blog. I don't, I don't really understand it. I don't know how entertaining you'll find it, but I'll have the links in the show notes to both websites' articles. What else, what else, what else? Oh yeah, WonderCon is this weekend. This weekend, days away. Hopefully I'll be meeting up with some folks for food and drink on Saturday night. Uh, if you mentioned being interested, make sure you check your email because I sent something. WonderCon is going to be a blast, and I'm sure there is way too much for me to do in one weekend. But if you are going, you'll want to make sure that you head to the IDW publishing panel called Godzilla The Return to Comics. Entering a new decade, the king of the monsters is ready to take on the world once again, and IDW is reintroducing this classic icon to readers everywhere. IDW's editorial team and panelists discuss what it's like to bring Godzilla back to comic book stores and what fans can expect from the smashing variety of the series. This is the place to get the latest earth-shaking news about Godzilla and other monsters appearing in the comics, plus some insight on what it took to bring Godzilla back in one of the most successful comic launches ever. If you love Godzilla like these guys do, then don't miss this one. It's in room 254-256, so check your schedules, people. We'll have a post-convention wrap-up early next month, so keep an eye out for that, and on the Facebook page for photos from the con. Moving on to local events, however, Things From Another World is hosting another one of their after-hours signings for the Marvel event Fear Itself. In addition to the signing and a Q&A with Matt Fraction, there will be food and beer provided. 
The event is all ages, but if you want to drink, you need to bring ID that proves you are indeed 21 or over. The signing is on Wednesday, April 6th from 7 to 10 p.m. at the Hollywood Things from Another World. I'll have a link to the Facebook page and to the tfaw.com blog article in the show notes. As I mentioned last month, April 16th and 17th at the Oregon Convention Center will be the home of the 2011 Stumptown Comics Fest, Portland's own independent comic convention with over 200 exhibitors and artists, more than 40 hours of panels and workshops, and these fine special guests. Deep breath. Eric Powell, Jeffrey Brown, Brandon Graham, Molly Krabappel, Phil and Kaya Foglio, Erica Moen, Randy Emberlin, Lucas Kettner, Rick Remender, Sarah Glidden, Ethan Nicole, Carla Speed McNeil, Benjamin Mara, Larry Martyr, Barry Deutsch, Gary Martin, and Brandon Seifert. One day passes are $7 and a weekend pass is only 12 bucks. Look for the link in the show notes, folks. And if you don't know what Axe Cop is, you need to check it out. It's Axe Cop, just like it sounds. Okay, that is another episode almost in the can here, so let's start the classic show-closing spiel, shall we? If you found the Kaiju Cast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, you really should check out kaijucast.com, where you can check out the show notes, download all of the shows, and not just the episodes that iTunes has listed, because I don't know how to change that. You can have, I mean, all 30 of the episodes are available on the website. Vote in the polls or see the list of Daikaiju discussion films that are coming up. Oh, speaking of Daikaiju discussions, if you would like to submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews for the next film, which is the 60s Korean kaiju film, Yongari, just send an email to controller at kaijucast.com, and I'll make sure to include you in the next episode. And speaking of emailing me, I know I'm still behind. I've had a really busy month, so I am going to get back to your emails. Uh, I did read them, especially the ones that were in the Daikaiju discussions, but I promise I'll get back to you. And if you want to email me, again, send an email to controller at kaijucast.com. I'd be happy to hear from you, whether it's positive or negative reviews or uh, just, you know, you want to say something cool about Godzilla, etc., etc. The Kaiju Cast is on Twitter and on Facebook, and a lot of information and cool things are posted to the Facebook page in between shows, so make sure you check those out. Both links can be found from the right-hand side of the page. We're pretty much finished for this month. I actually need to start packing for WonderCon this weekend. So if you see a guy walking around in a Godzilla shirt carrying a purple poster tube with a Kaiju Cast sticker on it, stop me, please, and say hello. I'll have stickers on hand to give people, if that's an incentive. Anyway... This month's final track uh, is actually the third request of the of the month. I didn't play it earlier because it just seemed like a better closing song. This is Tell Me Again by Juliana Shano from the 1999 Gamera 3 soundtrack. Until next month, Jamata! Moichi.